All right, Haggai chapter 2. Haggai chapter 2. You glad you're in church tonight? Amen. Amen. You know, I was visiting with, uh, with uh, one of our recent visitors, <clears throat> and this, this individual is no stranger to churches or even Baptist churches. And uh, he came back on a Sunday night a few weeks ago and said, man, I, I expected that crowd of 400 plus to maybe be 70 people. And he said, man, I came on a Sunday night and there are well over 100 people here. Church, thank you for being faithful. And uh, I'm so glad that you're here tonight. And I want to um, encourage you and praise you for doing that. So there's really two groups of people who are here tonight. There's those who don't care about football at all. Yeah, there's some of you. And then there's some of you, you could be in both groups, I guess. There's some of you who just love church and love the Lord. Right? It's okay to say amen there. And so I'm thankful you're here. We're going to be in Haggai chapter 2. Um, in case you don't know where the book of Haggai is, it's between Zephaniah and Zechariah. I don't know if that helps you. Uh, if you got the New Testament, turn back a couple pages and you'll end up there or uh, use the table of contents. Haggai chapter number 2, we'll be in verse 10, but we'll be there in a few moments um, as we get to the preaching. Last May, uh, Brother Paul and I went on a trip to Kansas City. And call me a snowflake, a wimpy millennial, I don't care, but I'm really particular about staying in just a decent hotel. It doesn't have to be fancy, it just has to be decent. And so whenever we go on trips and someone else is in charge of the hotel reservations, I just get a little nosy. And so I remember leading up to our trip, I'd ask Brother Paul, who took it upon himself to make the hotel reservations, hey, where are we staying? And he did, I think it's Expedia, where you, don't, you can't exactly know what hotel you're getting. You know what I'm talking about? You know, you get a price range, and then they just, you know, I don't know, pick a straw or something, and you end up at some hotel. But he said, listen, Mike, I, I've done my research. I think I know what hotel it is. But it wasn't until I checked in the hotel with him that I realized Paul did a pretty good job because we stayed at what I think is probably one of the nicest hotels in downtown Kansas City for a crazy cheap price. It's called the Sheraton at the Crown Center in Kansas City. Why don't you throw a picture? It is beautiful. Now, before you get all... Weird, we didn't, trust me, it was a good deal. Um, less than I normally pay for a hotel. And uh, it's this beautiful city. It's literally in a skyscraper in Kansas City. It's this beautiful open concept foyer. And I was pumped that Paul didn't put us in a cheap hotel. I was really glad about it. And then it was just this last week as I began researching for this message that I figured out why Paul got a really good deal on the hotel. Because just about 30 years ago, oh, I don't know, over 100 people died in a structure collapse at the very same hotel. <laughs> they were wise to sell out to a different hotel brand. It wasn't the Sheraton in 1981. It used to be called the Hyatt Regency Hotel. It was built in 1980. And what hotel looks like this today in 1981, looked like that, a disaster. In fact, before 9-11, this was the deadliest structure collapse in U.S. history. They say during the construction of the hotel, they, uh, you can kind of see at the top side of the screen, 
there are these suspended bridgeways, these walkways that would take you across the large foyer of the hotel. And on the far right of the screen, you can't see them because they collapsed, but there were two different suspended walkways, one on the second floor and one on the fourth floor. And during the construction of the hotel, the engineers just made a very, very slight change in how those walkways were hung so that really the collapse of those walkways was was just about around the corner. The uh, hotel would host tea parties every Friday afternoon, and I don't know why, but there happened to be a hundred, several hundred people at this tea party. I don't know who goes to those, but there were several hundred people on the ground floor of the tea party, and then there were people on the second and the fourth floor walkway chatting, hanging out, and just kind of looking at what was going on on the ground floor, when all of a sudden, the weight of the fourth floor walkway buckled and came collapsing down onto the second floor walkway. And then both of those came crumbling down onto the crowd below. A hundred plus people were killed and 200 plus people were injured. And here's the truth is that sometimes things aren't as intact as they seem on the outside. If you walked in the Hyatt Regency Hotel in 1980 when it first opened, you would have been in awe of its beauty, just like many people are today when they stay at the Sheraton. But it wasn't long before one small fault, one small flaw led to the hotel's eventual collapse. And here's the truth about the book of Haggai. Really, there's a lot of parallel here, because in the book of Haggai, it's concerned with the building, the construction of the new temple. And really in chapter number two, uh, sorry, chapter number one, the message was, here are these people who had resettled in Jerusalem after they had been led away captive into a different land. They're back in Jerusalem, and they kind of got sidetracked. They became more more focused on their own priorities and building their own houses and remodeling their own houses rather than building the Lord's house, which was the very reason God brought them back. And so Haggai preached to them a very strong and convicting message in chapter number one, and they started construction on the temple. Then in chapter number two, verses one through nine, the people began to move forward on the construction of the temple, and they began to realize very quickly that the temple they were building was not as nice as the one they used to have. And so they began to look at this temple that looked very unimpressive and very small, and they began to wonder if maybe that the the size of their temple was an indication of their relationship with God. That maybe a less impressive temple meant that they were very distant from God. And so God sent Haggai to encourage them and say, no, 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 I'm not done with you. I'm still working through you. I'm with you even when you don't feel me, and I'm working even when you can't see me. And so the construction of the uh, temple continued, and again, each passage of Scripture, unlike other books of the Bible, is a sermon that Haggai preached at different times. And so several months passed, and God began, begins to notice a problem that had started well before the construction of the temple, but it was only getting worse, and that while the people of the Lord were doing a good work, they had a bad heart. That while everything looked good on the outside, and while the temple looked 
decent on the outside. It was nearing completion. There was a work in their heart that was incomplete. And God had to clear off a spot through the prophet Haggai and confront some issues in their lives. Because here's the truth, church. God isn't just, in, isn't just trying to build something that looks good on the outside. God is interested in building godly people who reflect his character on the inside. Man, I, I know all of you feel the same way, but we are so privileged. I think we're in a church full of people who do some really, really good things. Man, I mean, this morning's service was evidence of it, wasn't it? I mean, the choir, we have an amazing choir that week after week sings some amazing worship songs to us. We're, we're blessed with the with a team of people that play the instruments and with Brother Tyler leading this service, that every week you can come to Fellowship Baptist Church and the song service won't be dry, but it'll also be God-honoring. Every single week, you can count on it. Can I get an amen? amen. Every single week. Man, you, I've never heard a guest, Pastor Tyler, have you, where they're like, man, I just wish your church would do more for kids. I just wish you'd have better children's programs. I've never heard that. Every week you can count on, on children's workers who care about your kids and not just want them to have fun, which is good, but they want to build their faith. Amen. We have greeters that greet people at the door and are professional and kind and welcoming. We have nursery workers that take care of children. But I wonder if tonight we can stop focusing on the external and every single member, every single person here tonight can take just a few moments to look at their heart. Because sometimes, like the people in Haggai, we can become deceived because we do good things on the outside, but there are some character flaws on the inside that God needs to deal with. And so here's what chapter 2, verses 10, and 9, 10 through 19 is about. God's going to talk to these people and communicate to, to them this idea that authenticity is greater than activity. I want you to look at verse number 10 with me. So he gives the date. He says, In the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, verse 11, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priest concerning the law, saying, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread or pottage or wine or oil or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priest answered and said, no. Now, now, let's step back for a second. Haggai is speaking in a parable or like an illustration to these priests. And if you want to understand what he's saying, you have to understand Jewish law. In the book of Leviticus, you can read about these different things. God was concerned that the inward holiness of his people would be reflected outwardly. And so God set apart some different laws that would show in an outward way that his people were separated unto him. And so they had all sorts of regulations in what type of food they could eat, right? They couldn't eat pork, but they could eat other meat. Um, they had regulations on, on how they would handle certain diseases. And if you were sick with a certain disease, you were unclean for a certain amount of time. And then through a certain ceremonial cleansing process, you would become clean. Uh, there was unclean occupations because of, they dealt with certain animals. There was this idea in the Old Testament of being clean and unclean. And so Haggai gives this illustration, and here's what, he's talking to these priests who would have known the law, and here's what he's saying to him. He says, if, if someone has this piece of 
clean meat. It's, it follows all the Jewish regulations, and they touch something that is unclean. Does that which is clean make that which is unclean more clean? Did you follow that? Let me put it this way, 2019. How many of you um, have ever gone to camp with or raised preteen boys? Yes. How many of you have ever smelt a preteen boy and wanted to walk away as soon as you smelt? Right? Well, let me put it this way. If you put a clean t-shirt on a preteen boy who has not showered, does that clean t-shirt make the preteen boy more clean? No, absolutely not. In fact, we'll find out what it does in the next couple of verses. So here's what he's saying is that which is clean does not purify that which is unclean. It's actually the other way around. Now, now look at verse number 13. He gives the flip side of his illustration. Then said Haggai, if one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be clean? And the priest answered and said, it shall be unclean. So here's the flip side. Of course, they, if you touched a dead body, you were unclean for a certain amount of days. If he touched something that was clean, it would automatically make that which is clean unclean. So flip side, if you take the dirty shower preteen boy and you put the clean t-shirt on him, does it make the t-shirt unclean? Absolutely. Nasty. Some of you mamas that do laundry or whoever does laundry in your house, you say amen. That which is filthy can contaminate that which is clean. Now Haggai isn't just doing a pop quiz on Jewish law. He's making a point. Look at verse number 14. Then answered Haggai and said, here's where he's getting to. So is this people. And so is this nation before me, saith the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there is unclean. Here's the point he's making. He's talking about clean and unclean. The people of Israel were doing things that were clean. They were building a temple. Is that clean or unclean? Clean. Good, right? They were offering sacrifices. Is that good or bad? Good, right? They were doing good things. But here's the problem. While they were doing good things, they had an unclean heart. And so God says, if you have an unclean heart, it corrupts even the good things which you do. See, God is not just concerned with people's sacrifices. God is not just concerned with what you do on the outside. God is concerned with your heart. And when you have an impure heart, it corrupts even good deeds that you do for God. We could say it this way. That God is more concerned with your authenticity than he is your activity. Church, would you agree with me that, that when God comes to Fellowship Baptist Church and he wants to meet with us, he's not just concerned that we have a polished children's ministry. He's not just concerned with people who sing the right notes in a song. He wants to meet with the people who love him and who want to worship with him. God is more concerned about your authenticity than your activity. I think back to our, our series in Divine Direction. Think back with me a little bit. I wrote it, so I'm going to be a little offended if you don't remember it. I'm just kidding. The first week we talked about that God cares about who more than do, right? And that's the same concept here. That God cares more about who you're becoming than what you're doing. That, that we can do a lot of good things, but in God's eyes, if we have a wicked heart, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. 
What did God say, in, or what did the prophet Samuel say to Saul in 1 Samuel? That God is more concerned with the heart than he is sacrifice. Because Saul had a rebellious heart and he was trying to sacrifice. God said, I don't care, you have a rebellious heart. It's like witchcraft. And I think, I think this is so true for people who go to church. Can, can we all be real with each other tonight? That all of us have the tendency to walk into church... On Sunday, one person. Because it's easy to put on a front for a couple hours. And to go home and be something different. Maybe for some of you, it's not even like that. We come to church and we go to work one person, but the real you shows up at home. The real you shows up even things maybe your family doesn't know about. We have a tendency to be righteous on the outside but to have some impurities sometimes on the inside. You know, I'll be, I'll be real. That is, such, that is such a tendency even for people who are up here. Right? And I've learned so, I've, I'm learning that a lot of times I can get so focused on, on writing a message and forget. God's not concerned with me writing a message. He's concerned with developing a messenger. God's not concerned with building a church. He's concerned with building a people. And when God does a work in people, it's then he builds a church. Are you with me? That, that God, God isn't as concerned with someone hitting a right note when they sing a song if they have a bad heart. Do you think God cares more that you lead a children's ministry with excellence or that you have a good heart and a good spirit? Or that you look religious on the outside, or that you worship God the other six days of the week. God is more concerned with authenticity than activity. Listen, church, I, I think about a lot of what we've talked about with, with our new theme is that we want to move forward in, in reaching people and we all want to take steps forward. But listen, I, I pr my prayer and my heart, and I know Pastor... Uh, and, and Brother Tyler's heart is not just that we'd move forward in things that look good on the outside, but that every single one of us would take some steps to move forward in our personal, private walk with the Lord. And, and here's what happens is when we deal with this hypocrisy in our own lives or inauthenticity, here's what happens is sometimes we, we kind of settle into a group, don't we? We kind of come to terms with it. And we even become blind to our own spiritual weaknesses. Are you with me? Amen. But here's the truth tonight. God isn't blind to it. God saw right through that half-constructed temple and saw right into the hearts of his people. And don't think God is deceived by your activity in ministry. God's not deceived by your performance at work. God's not deceived by how well you dress. God sees your heart. And here's the truth, church. He will not stop. He will not quit because when his son died on the cross, here's what he did. He paid the price for your life and God committed himself to the eternal work of making you more and more like Jesus and he will not give up. He will not quit. And so here's the truth and what the passage communicates in verses 15 through 17 that sometimes if God's going to work in us to make us more authentic and to make us more holy and to make us more righteous, sometimes God has to correct inauthentic people. He has to send his correction. Look at verse number 15. 
Here's what Haggai says, and he says, And now I pray you, consider from this day and upward, from before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord. Look up here. What he's saying there is that this has been a long-standing issue. It's not like God's knee-jerk reacting to something that's been going on for a week. For months this has been going on in their heart, and God's going to do something about it. Now look at verse 16. Since those days were, when one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the press fat, that'd be where they would get, I believe, olive oil or uh, uh, grape juice. They came to the press fat to draw out 50 vessels out of the press. There were but 20. Here's the idea. God had been sending his correction to these people for months. And, and when God wants to correct, sometimes he just goes straight for the pocketbook. And, and they were used to getting a harvest of 20 measures. Uh, most farmers know that over like a five-year span, they have kind of an average yield for their crops. And so they were used to getting 20, but their crops had done so poorly, they got 10. They were used to getting 50 vessels uh, of oil, but they got 20 as a 40% yield. Now, a lot of you aren't necessarily in agriculture, and even farmers today, they have insurance and stuff for really low years. <laughs> But here's the truth. Imagine if you walked into work tomorrow and your boss said, hey, I got to sit you down. The month of February, I'm going to have to cut your pay in half. I want you to think of the number that would be. Um, how many of us would be making major lifestyle adjustments? Wow, you are very frugal. There are 10 of you who will make a major lifestyle adjustment. Bravo to you. I would have to make a major, I, I think I'd find another job is what I'd do. They didn't have that option. Their income, one harvest year, was cut in half. And it's not like God was subtle about it. I mean, verse 17 says, I smote you with blasting. That meant that was a major heat wave hit their crops. So it's like one month they're saying, oh no, it's really hot. There's no rain. Our crops are dying. And then the next month, God smote them with mildew. That means there was so much moisture that disease got into their crops and even more died. And if that wasn't enough, the next month, God smote them with hail. So they went from heat to rain to hail. And at the end of the harvest, they had 50% of what they expected. And church, listen, sometimes when we aren't honoring God with our heart, God has to send his correction. Sometimes if God can't get your attention by a sermon or by a loving brother or sister in Christ, God has to raise the stakes a little bit. And, and, and can I just have, just stop for a second? Not every life circumstance is God's correction, right? It's not like if someone dies, it's like God's correcting you. That, that's not how it works all the time. But can we be honest to the text and say that sometimes that's how it works? And I love what Brother McCracken said. He said, a lot of people wonder, is God correcting me or is God just trying to try my faith? Here's what he said. When God is correcting you with circumstances, you will know it. You'll know it. It won't be a mistake. You won't have to ask, is this God's correction? You'll know. You'll know when you're struggling with your money and it's God's correction. You'll know when even... First Corinthians talks about sometimes it's health issues 
And the book of James even talks about it sometimes, that God will even send illness sometimes to correct his people. Listen, I don't know exactly all the ways in which God corrects us. Sometimes he just lets the external circumstances that are connected with our sin correct us. That, that your, God's correction is the, is the response of a bad marriage. And that God's correction is the consequences for your sin. And we'll know that God's correction is upon us. But God's not doing that to punish you, friend. God's doing that to correct you. And to see a good response in you. And could it be that maybe some in here tonight don't need financial counseling? They need spiritual counseling? They don't necessarily need marriage counseling because they have a terrible partner. Maybe they just need spiritual counseling because they have a terrible heart. Are you with me? But here's what I love, and I love verses 18, 19. It's a weird set of verses, but it's so encouraging. God doesn't want you to stay there. Because as much as God is passionate about needing to correct those who are inauthentic, God is absolutely ready to bless the repentant. Look at verse number 18. Consider now from this day and upward, from the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, even from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed yet in the barn? Yea, as yet the vine, and the fig tree, and the pomegranate, and the olive tree hath not brought forth from this day, will I bless you. Did you notice that in verse number 18, God wasn't speaking in past tense? That as he began to speak about his blessing, he wasn't speaking in past tense, he was speaking in present tense. He said, consider from this day forward. He even names the exact day. It's like God is saying, consider from February 3rd, 2019 and forward. And here's why God did that. See, when God spoke of his correction, he spoke in the past tense. But when God spoke about his blessing, he spoke in the present. Why? Because God's blessing on your life isn't limited by your past choices. God's blessing in your life is, de is determined by your present choices. That what you do today determines God's blessing upon your life tomorrow. And here's what God is saying is, hey, listen, I'm ready to bless you if you'll just repent. From here on, this day forward, I'll bless you. What does God say? Is the seed yet in the barn? You know what he's saying there? He's saying, yeah, I reduced your crop yield by 50%, but is there still seed in the barn? Is there still some olive uh, trees around? Are there still some vines around? Are there still some pomegranate trees hanging around? They would have said, yeah. Do you still have life? God wants to use you. Yeah. Are you still breathing tonight? God wants to use you. God wants to bless you. God wants to use you for his glory. Listen, your past mistakes cannot limit God's future blessings. God wants to take somebody who may have some inward sins in their life, and when they're willing to repent towards God, God will take that person and he'll change their course. I'm thankful I can look out tonight and I can see some people who've changed their course. Think of Ali and Alfredo and how they've been making some steps in their life even before they got saved, but especially since they've got saved, to change their course because they don't have to be defined by their past. Uh, I'm thankful I could see some uh, former drug addicts and some former alcoholics who made some decisions in their life and were willing to repent, and they could say, yes, God has blessed me. God has done something in my life, and I don't have to be defined by my past choices. And the same is true whether it's an outward sin 
or whether it's an issue of the heart. That just as much as, as our life can collapse because of some bad outward choices, listen, church, when we leave some internal issues unchecked, it can lead to our collapse. And you know, they say that when it came to the Hyatt Regency Hotel, that just some simple rechecking of their math when they made that change would have saved 300 people from tragedy. It wasn't really a, a major issue on the outside. All they did was change the fact that instead of both walkways being hung from the same set of rods, they decided that they would hang one walkway from this set and then hang the bottom one on the top set of walkway. Well, then this, this top one was bearing all the weight. And here's the truth, church. It just takes one small adjustment. Hey, listen, there's no sin that's too little for God to deal with and for God to want you to purge and correct in your life because you take that one little sin, that one little rebellious tendency, and you let it go over time and let it magnify, it can lead to disaster. God doesn't want you to get there, so repent. Whether you're a deacon, a trustee, a ministry staff member, a faithful church member. Listen, all of us have to deal with our own heart. All of us have to, all of us have to deal with it. Let's pray. Father.